Walking our way through the book of Acts, we're going to stop at about Acts chapter 9 just after Saul becomes a Christian because about three years ago, four years ago, I went through the life of Paul and we started about Acts chapter 9. So, uh, so we got a couple more weeks and then uh, we're going to head into the Old Testament for a while. So right now we're in the book of Acts. Uh, Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends into heaven. Acts chapter 2, we have Pentecost. Acts chapter 3, they heal a man. Um, Start preaching. The, Sadduce, the, the Sanhedrin doesn't like that. They haul him in, tell him not to do that. Uh, Acts chapter 4, uh, the preaching thing continues on, and they basically hauled him in that time and kind of uh, uh, tell him, you know, look, you can't do this anymore. Acts chapter 5, we have Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, Acts chapter 6, uh, we get into the story of um, the church starting to organize a little bit. We get into the whole... Uh, deacon thing, and then at the end of Acts chapter 6, we come into uh, Stephen, introduced to Stephen as, as really the first, uh, one of the first deacons, and then Acts chapter 7, Stephen is, uh, he's been arrested, and you have his defense before the Sanhedrin, and so we talked about that two weeks ago. Now this morning, we're going to look at the response of the Sanhedrin to, to Stephen's message, and Stephen basically gives them a history of Israel, uh, of Israel he explained to them that they're part of the problem. They really don't like that. And uh, you're going to see the response at the end of Acts chapter 7 this morning. So it's just about four or five verses, but we kind of want to dive into them and, and learn some things. So here we go. Acts chapter 7, here's what it says. Uh, starting in verse 54, it says, When they heard these things, that's the Sanhedrin now, that's all the religious leaders. And you have to remember this. The Sanhedrin was involved in uh, Jesus' trial. So they have watched Jesus' miracles and heard all about him and, and illegally kind of pushed him through the system. Uh, they have brought Stephen, or they have brought, uh, um, not Stephen, um, Peter in. He's talked to him. He brought Peter and the apostles in, and they, they talked to him. So now we're on the, like the third, fourth go-around where these guys are hearing the same thing over and over and over again. First time with the disciples, they say, look, don't do this anymore. Second time, they beat them. Well, they're kind of running out of options. So now Stephen is in front of them, and as part of his defense, he would have been allowed to stand up and say some things, and we talked about that two weeks ago. Notice what it says. It says, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. In, in, in the original language, literally this means sawn in half. It has this, this idea of... Completely, it's like these guys were incredibly convicted. I mean, this ripped their heart apart, so to speak, is the idea. It said they were cut. They did not like hearing this at all. And again, this was like the third, fourth time they've heard this thing. And basically, every time it's been, you guys are the ones who crucified Jesus. You guys are the ones who rejected him. You guys are the cause of all this. He's God. He's God's man. And you keep rejecting him. And it's not what you want to tell the leaders. They don't, it's not going to make them happy. And notice what he goes on to say, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. So now it's like, again, under the way this system worked, he was supposed to stand up and give a defense. And it's like they get so angry and irate, they basically cut him off. I think there was more of Stephen's message, but we don't hear it because these people just lost it. I mean, they absolutely lost it. It's like, we're going to shut you down. Now, and notice what it goes on to say. 
it's not like he, he helps himself either. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, there's no problem at this point with what you have seen. But he's about to put the nail in the coffin, so to speak. Now he's going to tell them what he sees. And notice what he says. Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man. Up until now, Jesus is the only one who has used that, that, that phrase of himself. That's the first time we see that used by somebody other than Jesus. And the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Okay, now, let, let, let's back this up because I want you to understand what, what this means and what this is saying to the Sanhedrin, to all of these religious people standing at there. When he, first of all, looking into heaven, it, it's as if God allows him a pulls back the curtain, so to speak, of heaven for a moment and lets him see heaven. Now, you need to understand in the Bible, there are only five people that this happened to. Isaiah got to see heaven. Ezekiel got to see heaven. Stephen gets to see heaven. John gets to see heaven. And Paul gets to see heaven. Those five, that's it. Stephen is the first one to see Jesus in his glorified state after the ascension into heaven. And remember, this is like a Greek guy. This isn't like a Jewish guy. Uh, So, and notice what he says. He sees the glory of God, and Jesus, what's the next word? Standing. I don't want to make too much about it, because I I I don't want to speculate here. But most of the time, when the Bible talks about Jesus at the right hand of God, he is seated. Now, that's important because in the tabernacle, there was no chair. Because the priest's work was never done. The priest was always making sacrifices for sin. But Jesus, the great high priest, is now sitting next to God at the right hand. But when Stephen sees him, he is standing. And it's unusual. It's very unusual. And notice what he says. He says, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man. So, if you're a Sanhedrin, either a Sadducee or Pharisee or religious ruler of the day, and you're sitting there listening to that, and you hear the phrase, Son of Man, knowing that they were talking about Jesus, and he is now where? In heaven, with God, where with God? At the right hand, which is a position of power. And you hear somebody standing in front of you go, Hey, let me tell you guys what I see. The Son of Man is standing right there next to God. Now what's your response? Is you see... To this group of people, this was blasphemy. Because at this point in history, Isaiah, the great prophet Isaiah, Ezekiel, the great prophet Ezekiel, have seen heaven. And now, this little pagan is standing in front of us, telling us he sees God. 
and standing next to him is Jesus. Notice what happens. It goes on. Uh, verse uh, 57, guys. Then they cried out with a loud voice. And they stopped their ears. Literally, they would start plugging their ears because to hear more was so repulsive to them that they, they, they plugged their ears. And then notice what it says next. And they ran at him with one accord. Um, fascinating word right here. This, this little phrase here, ran at him with one accord, it's used one other time in the Bible in, in, prior to this. You remember when Jesus cast out the demons of the man and they ran into the pig and he put them into the pigs? And it says that the pigs ran, the hogs ran down into the water. That's the word. That's the idea. The idea is that in Jesus' situation, he cast the demons out in the hogs and the hogs go running down into the water. Here he's saying, look at these. These guys, they ran at him with the same kind of uh, motivation. In other words, these guys lost it. I mean, they blew a cork like you can't blow a cork. And notice Stephen's response. What's Stephen doing? He's just standing there. They falsely accused him. They've lied about him. They've said all kinds of things. They've come uncorked on him, and Stephen just stands there. Why? Because he's full of the Holy Spirit. What a sharp contrast between the world of God, peace, contentment, security, versus craziness. Lost control. Loses it. Blows a cork. And then notice what it goes on to say. And they cast him out of the city and they stone him. Now, here's a little bit of a problem here and here's why. The Mishnah, which is the, which is the, um, you talked about teaching, wherever it was, teaching textbook kind of thing. The church, the early church had kind of like a, it's not the Bible, but it was like a textbook for how you do church. Um, for instance, how you do baptism. For instance, in the Mishnah it taught that when you baptize somebody, you, you, you dunked them three times under cold running water. Okay, that's how they, so be happy today, we do warm water. Uh, but the Mishnah taught those things. The Mishnah taught about communion. The Mishnah taught about deacons. The Mishnah, so the Mishnah has these things. The Mishnah taught about how you stone somebody. And here's how they would do it. They would take the accused to the edge of a cliff that was between 10 and 12 feet high, typically. They would strip them of their clothes. They would push them off. <clears throat> then they would look over to see if they died. If they didn't die, then the first person who would accuse them would take the largest boulder that they could. They would roll it over to the edge, and they would push it over, and hopefully it would land on their chest or their head and kill them. Then, after they pushed the thing over, they would look and see if they were breathing. If they were not breathing, then the second accuser would come up to do this. Remember Jesus in this story where they bring the woman, at, uh, the woman found in adultery? Which is interesting because it says she was caught in the act of adultery, but they only bring the woman, they don't bring the guy, which that should tell you something right there. But anyway, they had an ulterior motive. Remember when Jesus says, okay, he that is without sin cast the first stone? It was like, okay, who's going to be the first one to push the boulder over on there? Okay, whichever one of you without sin, you do that. 
And it says, and I love the passage, it says, they walked away from the oldest to the youngest, you know, because, you know, the young kids, you know, like, oh, hey, you know. But the old people are like, no, I've lived too long. I know what it's like. But that's the way the Mishnah would do it. When we read this account, we don't see some of those things. We're going to see some different things that happen. Um, we, we see that there's some time involved here where he's able to say a couple of things before this, before this happens. Um, we see that we don't, we don't see the part, we see them taking off their coats, not, not uh, Stephen's coat being taken off. So there's a lot of speculation that this is actually just like Jesus, it was illegal. But they feel like, look, we got away with it, Jesus, we'll get away with it with this guy, but we're going to shut this guy down. And notice what happens. It says, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. For those of you who don't know your Bible or maybe not know this, Saul is later going to become a Christian, and his name is going to be Paul, and he's going to be instrumental in writing most of the books that you have in your New Testament. This is the first time we see this guy. I believe that when you go all the way through the book of Acts, here's what you see. Saul studied the feet of a guy by the name of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was in the synagogues of the churches that Stephen had been preaching and teaching at that caused the problem for Stephen to be brought before the Sanhedrin in the first place. So the reality of it is, I think, I think I could probably make a pretty strong argument that Saul is one of the ones who argued with Stephen early to even before this thing happened. So Saul is still involved in this thing. And he's a young man, and he is now standing there, and when they go to stone Stephen... They had to put their coats somewhere. Um, think of it in, this, in these terms. You know how, you know, ladies, they have a purse. You know, it's like, well, you watch my purse. I'm going to go to the restroom. I'm going to go get this, you know, and ladies go. And, you know, guys, you know how you, maybe you've got a jacket on. You take your jacket off. And you go, hey, can you watch my jacket? Because you've got your car keys in it and your cell phone and sometimes your wallet or whatever else. That's the idea. And their coat, they would have had stuff that was important. So it's like, okay, Saul, hey, look, we're going to pull our coats right here. You watch them for us while we take care of this. So Saul is in charge of that. And here's what we do know. In Acts chapter 22, Paul talks about this incident and how it impacted his life. Now, from Acts chapter 7, Paul goes out and becomes very intense at killing more Christians. In Acts chapter 9, Paul becomes Christian. And part of the reason, Acts chapter 22, part of the reason he becomes a Christian is because he watches this guy by the name of Stephen go through everything that he goes through. And he has, it's, I think in the back of his mind, he sits there and goes, I don't know what that guy got, but i got to have what he has because I don't have that. And I think that's part of him coming to Christ in Acts chapter 9. But notice what it says. They lay at the feet and they stone Stephen as he was calling on God. Well, again, according to Mishnah, there's like one big stone. And there's not a lot of people involved. It's just the one person saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Now, here's what's fascinating. Jesus does this on the cross, too. Anybody remember what Jesus says? Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. When Jesus is on the cross, he puts his life in the hands of God. But now, because of the resurrection, Jesus has come out of the tomb. He is alive. He is the one who is the mediator between God and man. 
He's the one who now standing, sitting at the right hand of the Father of God. And so when Stephen now prays, Stephen says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. It's changed now. It's a different thing. But it's the same thing that Jesus says. Only Jesus directs it to God. Stephen directs it to Jesus. And again, if you're the Sanhedrin, and you're playing this as playing out, and you're madder than a hornet, and you're trying to end this guy, and he starts talking about Jesus again, this doesn't go over well. It just makes you want to throw more stones harder. And then, notice what he does. Uh, the last verse says this, verse uh, 60. Um, then he knelt down, and he cries out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. One of the guys standing there is who? Saul. What if he would have said, Lord, wipe them out? Lord, they did me wrong. Lord, get even with them. But he says, Lord, don't lay this sin on the The same thing Christ says on the cross, by the way. By the way, for some of you who are seasoned Christians, let me suggest something to you. Go through and draw out as many parallels as you can between the life of Stephen and the life of Jesus, particularly at the end of their life. It is fascinating. I think I came up with like 11, 12, 13, 14 things. You know, falsely accused, falsely before the Sanhedrin. Um, <clears throat> um, all of these elements of it, the way that he prays at the end. And then, when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, folks, listen. This is a violent, ugly death. But how does Luke describe it? He falls asleep. So that's the story. Let's talk about some things that I think we can learn as <coughs> we head into our week and, and, and go about our day, the rest of the day, and that kind of thing. Um, first thing is this. It is so important for us to live lives daily that are controlled by the Spirit of God. When it says that Stephen was full of the Holy Ghost, it's interesting in the original language. Um, it's in a tense that is what we call present tense. Here's what it means. It means that Stephen was at that moment filled with the Holy Ghost as a way of life. It wasn't something that happened in the past. You know, it doesn't, it's not the idea of, okay, he was saved and then he was, so he was full of the Holy Ghost. No, it's this idea that Stephen is continually, daily, through this experience, allowing the Holy Spirit to be in charge. And that's what needs to be true for all of us. And, and, and I want to challenge you because, look, his reaction is not a natural reaction. When you're lied about, when somebody lies about you, what do you do? Yeah, we do all, we do all the wrong things most of the time. You know, we know what we should do, but what does Stephen do? He stands there. What does Jesus do? What happens when things don't go your way, when somebody says something wrong about you or, or directed at you? How do you respond? Because you see, these people, this whole thing is a setup. They have set this guy up. They have lied about him. They've had false accusers. They've had all these things. And it says Stephen stands there full of the Holy Ghost saying, hey, guys, let me tell you a little bit about your history, and you guys are part of the problem. He's bold. He's courageous. He's, he's, he's humble, yet at the same time, he doesn't waver. 
He doesn't lose his cool. He doesn't try to, and, and there's something about his presence. And I think, I think, it made an incredible impact on that young guy by the name of Saul. Because he's standing there watching that thinking, you know what, I, I don't know what that guy's got. But I don't have that. Can I challenge you to take whatever that circumstance is you're going through right now? Whatever that rub is, whatever that issue is, whether it be at work, at home, at, uh, you know, at, with relatives or family or whatever else, and ask yourself a very simple question. Are you allowing yourself to respond in the way the Holy Spirit wants you to respond? Or are you fighting for your rights? Are you fighting for the way you think it should be done and everybody's going to listen to you and I can't believe they're there? Are you running around trying to defend yourself? Are you running around reacting? Are you running around like the crazy Sanhedrin losing your cool? You get into a business thing this week. How are you going to respond? That cashier who flips on that little light because she punched something in the wrong way. I have one where... where you know, this UPC, these little code things, you know, and they couldn't read the numbers, and they couldn't do this, and they couldn't, and the lady's like, oh, I can't find it, just a second. So she flips on the light, and she's just, she, I could tell, she was so frustrated. So I got my phone, and I look it up on my phone, and I say, hey, look, here's your guys' app. Does that number help you? She goes, oh, you have no idea how much that helped me. She goes, thank you for being so patient. I'm like, look, I wouldn't want your job. You know? I said, I can't. I don't know why they do that to you. Um, you know? Why? Because she doesn't have anything over that. But yet we get uncorked over stuff like that. You know? Somebody musses up. Look, why not allow ourselves to be spiritual? Why not allow them to see us treating them differently than everybody else treats them? Why? Because we're Christians. We do it differently. And we don't do it differently in order to, 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 to be Christians. We do it differently because we are Christians. And it's so important. Look, okay, you know me, I like stepping on toes. So here we go. Your spouse. You know, your spouse. What if you responded in a way that was led, guided, and directed by the Holy Spirit? You know? Instead of going, oh, honey, I don't know why you didn't put away those dishes. I mean, how many times do I have to do this for you? Blah, 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 What if you got up? What if you got up tomorrow and said, what if as you got in your car today, you decided from here on out today, I'm going to treat my wife, my husband, in a way that reflects love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, mercy, temperance, me. What if I did all of that? You're like, well, first of all, they think the body snatchers came. But other than that, I mean, come on. But is that not the way we're supposed to be living? And this is the thing. Stephen, when he finds himself in a situation, he doesn't have to think or force himself to it. It is natural for him because he has developed such a pattern of it. I mean, when the church, when, the, when, the, when, when they got together and they had to choose seven deacons, and he turned it over to the Gentile side of, of the people to choose them, Stephen's the guy they picked first. 
This was a lifestyle for the guy. This was not. When you see him mentioned often in Scripture, you see tagged along with his thing. Stephen, Holy Ghost, led by the Holy Ghost, filled with the Holy Ghost. But that's the tag name that kind of goes with his thing. And I think it's a phenomenal lesson for us. A lot of the stuff we struggle with, you know what, we look a whole lot different if we say, okay, Lord, I know how I want to respond, but I want to respond in the way you want me to respond, not the way that I want to respond. Second thing, notice where Stephen focuses. Heaven. Now, 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 we miss this, but this is so important. He's not focused on the circumstances. He's not focused on the fact that he's there illegally. He's, focused on, he's not focused on what they're saying about him. He's not focused on the fact that he had a right to stand there and give his whole speech and not be shut down. He, doesn't, he, doesn't, he stands there even though that, that in that situation, they're literally physically running at him to pick him up and haul him outside of the city because he has spoken the most blasphemous thing they've ever heard, and they're going to kill him for it. They're not even going to give him a fair trial. They're just going to take him out there, take off their coats, and start stoning him. And yet, where does he look? To heaven. Why? Because he understands there's something bigger at play here than his circumstances. I can't stress how important this is for us. Because what, you know why we get in trouble? We get in trouble because we focus on the wrong things. See, think about this for a second. If Stephen focused on how they had lied about him and the circumstances, how difficult it was and how it wasn't right and how God didn't love him and how oh, da, 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 he would have missed the whole purpose of what he was going through. See, what really happens here is Stephen responds in a way that honors God. You know who it impacts? Some young guy by the name of Saul whose job was to hold the coats, who then goes out and tries to kill more Christians. But God gets a hold of his heart. And then the next thing you know, there's churches started all over. By the way, irony of all ironies, read what happens to the Apostle Paul. Actually survives, I think it's two occasions of stoning. The irony is he stood there and took the coats while they watched and approved of this guy getting stoned, and yet it's going to happen to him years later. For the very same reason it happened to Stephen, because he stood up for the cause of Jesus Christ. And you and I get to pick up our Bibles and read all of these incredible things that Paul wrote. Why? Because a guy by the name of Stephen responded in a way focused on God and not his circumstances. Whose life will you impact if you focus on God instead of your circumstances? You see, you don't know. The, the, the impact goes so wide. And, and that's my challenge to us. Is look, I am, I'm, not gonna minim, I'm not minimizing your story. The guy was still going to die a violent, ugly death. That doesn't change. But that's not what he's focused on. It was illegal, but that's not what he's focused on. He's been lied about. That's not what he's focused on. People are attacking him for no good reason. It's not what he's focused on. God's allowing this to happen to him, and he's just trying to serve God. That's not what he's focused on. He's focused on heaven. And he looks up, and he sees God. 
which, again, one of only five people, first one to ever see Christ in a glorified state. It's incredible. And God allows him to see that. And, and, and then here's the last thing. How is his death described? He fell asleep. Not, doesn't talk about all the ugly parts of his death. It says he fell asleep. Why? This is important for us to embrace and understand. Whenever the Bible talks about the death of a believer, sleep is the analogy that it uses. Sleep. Now, how many of you last night went to bed going, oh, I'm so scared to fall asleep? I'm so afraid of going to sleep right now? It was a welcome friend last night. I longed to get into my bed with my pillow and go, ah, this is good. You see, I knew, I knew one of two things was going to happen last night. I was either going to wake up this morning and come in here and get to preach, or my heart was going to stop. I was going to stop breathing last night, and I was going to wake up in the arms of, of Jesus. I didn't know which one, but here's what I love about it. Both were wins. So I didn't go to bed last night so worried about, well, what if I, what if I die tonight? What if, what's going to happen if I... Because I have, as we sang, a blessed assurance that it is not something I fear. It is something that I look forward to, actually. No, I mean, think about it. No more sin. No more aches and pains. No more struggle. People that I have missed for a long time, I get to see again. <laughs> Come on. You know, and I watch people, you know, they're like, I'm going to hang on to this world with everything I've got. You know what? If I get more time, great. And if I don't, great. I'm good either way. And when I go to bed at night, I don't fear going to sleep. Even going into surgery. You know, I had a couple of surgery last year, you know, I put the oxygen on and, you know, um, let's see, the last time I went into surgery, the last thing I remember talking about was we were talking about motorcycles with the anesthesiologist. That's what we were talking about. Um... I don't know what I said after that, and I'm glad that, like, stays with ever him. But anyway, uh, we were talking about motorcycle, you know. Why? It was, it was not a fear. It wasn't a fear. It's okay. It's okay. Because as a believer, we have that kind of assurance. And, and, and I pray, I, I, I beg you, if you are not confident of what happens when you take your last breath or your heart beats for the last time, nail that down today, folks. Because the Bible says you can know for sure. No questions, no questions about it. And there are many here that have that kind of assurance. And it is an incredible thing to know. No matter what comes my way tomorrow or today, it's good. I'm good. No matter what. Why? Because I'm going to sleep and I'm going to wake up. And I believe the Bible teaches absent from the body, present with the Lord. So I believe just like last night, last night, and that's why. This is just my thing. You don't have to adopt it. This is my thing. I do not say goodbye at a funeral of a Christian. I say goodnight. So just like last night, I looked at my wife and I said, goodnight, honey, I love you. I'll see you in the morning. When I stand at the graveside of a believer, I basically have the same attitude and outlook. Goodnight, I love you. I'll see you in the morning. Just, just a time apart for right now because absent from the body and present with the Lord. And I'm going to, time out, I'm speculating right now, okay? This is all my imagination, okay? 
So everybody got that? This isn't in the Bible. Don't go try to look it up. I believe the reason Jesus is standing is because he knows what's about ready to happen for Stephen. And when Stephen takes his last breath, he is going to enter the presence of God. And Jesus Christ is standing there as his mediator to say, Father, he's mine. So I believe because his death is as the first martyr, Jesus Christ himself is standing there to welcome him. Now that's all speculation, okay? But I, as I read my Bible, I can't think of a lot of reasons for Jesus to stand. But that would be one that makes sense to me. Because you see, Jesus is a meter. That's why he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And I think it's almost as if Jesus himself stands up and says, all right, God, he's one of ours. God knows that. But, you know, he's in because of me. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. I don't believe it's one of these things where you just sleep for a while and soul sleep and, and purgatory and all these other things that, that tend to be taught. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. And, and I have that kind of hope. I hope you do. And if you don't, it's not about jumping through a bunch of hoops. It's about realizing you're a sinner, needing a Savior, and putting your faith and trust in Christ alone. That's what it's about. I was a 16-year-old kid when I did that. I'm not going to heaven because I'm a preacher. I'm not going to heaven um, for any other reason, for, for, you know, giving or coming. To, you know, I go to church every week. I mean, I only miss like one Sunday a year. doesn't matter. It's not about that. So as a 16-year-old kid, I said, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. Be my It started a relationship at that moment in my life. And it gave me an assurance. And from that point on, death is not something I fear. Any more than tonight when I put my head on my pillow, I fear going to sleep. And here's a guy who dies a violent, ugly, horrendous kind of death. And the, how does the Bible sum it up? He fell asleep. Because that's the hope we have. As I close, I close with this. Stephen reminds us that it's important to be controlled by God's Spirit every single day. Our focus determines our direction and ultimately our outcome. As a believer, we all look forward to the time that we die and leave this world only to be in the presence of our Lord forever. It is our prayer that you have that kind of assurance as well. Let's pray. Lord, incredible guy. Made a big impact on this world in a big way. And yet, Lord, not someone we often talk about or focus on or or, or think about. And yet, Lord, every one of us is here today because of the impact and the influence that he made on the kingdom of God. Lord, use us. Lord, as we are tempted today and this week to focus on ourselves, may we focus instead on doing and responding and being the way that you want us to be and do and respond. 
Lord, if there are some here this morning who don't have that kind of assurance, would you help them to get that settled and, and, and make that solid in their life so they know? And Lord, for each of us, Lord, as we go forward, we don't know if this is our last day or if we have 10 or 20 or 30 or 50 years ahead of us. But Lord, we do know that our lives are in your hands and our time here is short. So help us to, to, to make the best of it and to do it well. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, let's stand.